Welcome to Prospecting Purpose, where we explore mining's role in shaping a sustainable, socially just, and brighter future. I'm Liz Friel, your host for the series, with a rotating guest on every episode. Have you ever wondered what we actually mean when we use the word responsible to describe mining? There are countless standards and frameworks, and even Wikipedia has a whole page on responsible mining. But who gets to decide how we define it? Can it be measured? And is there a secret recipe? That's exactly what we're going to focus on today. Joining us on this episode is John Thompson, who, as he puts it, comes right from the rocks. An industry veteran, director, and board member, his impressive 35-year mining industry track record boasts names such as Cornell University, Tech Resources, the World Economic Forum, MindSense Technologies, and the Canada Mining Innovation Council. Welcome, John. Great. Nice to, nice to be on with you. Great to have you. So the first documented use of the term responsible mining that I could find was in the late 1970s, but it's really only picked up steam in much more recent years, right? And so I wanted to ask you, since we started talking about it, have you seen real change during your time in the industry? So that's a, that's a great way to start this discussion because you know, this, this term responsible has grown in significance, and yet I don't think we really know what it means. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a very difficult thing to explain to people you know, in the broader community and the general public who probably don't really appreciate what a mine is to start with or how it works. And we're telling them and it's going to be responsible. And so they would have a view of responsible that is probably very different to mine. So are we heading in that direction of responsible? I, I would say, yes, we are. There's lots of little changes, things that are driving mines to be more efficient, more energy efficient, use less water, you know, work more closely with communities, all things which sound good, but probably don't yet mm-hmm. satisfy the use of the word responsible. And uh, as you mentioned in your introduction, there's lots of organizations which the label responsible and they kind of have a perspective on responsible. But again, does that really you know, make a difference? And I'll tell you a quick story on this. A few years ago, I was involved in Alaska and we went to Alaska with a group of us to talk to people, uh, mainly f- related to fishing, salmon fishing, in the Bristol Bay, which is a very sensitive area and the heart of a controversy related to pebble copper. Yes. And these people were deadly opposed to a potential mine in the headwaters of the Bristol Bay area, the, the pebble mine. And yet they weren't actually opposed to mining. And their question to us was, what does a responsible mine look like? And so we sat down with them and had to try and talk to them and tell them what, in our view, a responsible mine would look like that was environmentally sound, that was accepted by the people in the, in the area around their communities, their workers was safe and delivered a product that was you know, needed and necessary for the, for the world. And, and you know, they, I think we made progress. We got to some level of understanding, but at the bottom of it, they still struggle because of this uncertainty of what it is. And the problem mm. is made a lot worse by the fact that we think of, we talk about the mining industry and it's so many different pieces, the different scales of mine, big holes, very small underground mines, it's gravel, it's metals, and we call it all the mining industry. Right. And that responsible world word will apply differently to different parts. So it's, 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 it's a mess. <laughs> yes, indeed. But that's a really good story. And I imagine in order to answer that, you did have to do quite a lot of reflection. So perhaps let's let's dig into what initially drew you to the mining industry. Uh, <laughs> so I grew up in England and uh, I went into geology. I did a geology degree as an undergraduate, in part because I couldn't think of what else to do. And uh, at that point in, in England, you had to pretty much sign up for a degree in a topic, a subject. And uh, 
I thought I wanted to be an engineer and I realized I really didn't. And the next thing I thought of was geology. I possibly was influenced by my father who was an archeologist. And so he had some understanding of, uh, of geology, but I, yeah, I don't know why. So I got into geology. When I finished my degree, um, my opportunities in the UK were to, to go in the oil industry pretty much and be out in the North Sea on a North Sea oil rig. And that wasn't the reason I went into geology. I went into geology because I wanted to be outside in the mountains looking at, you know, looking at rocks and so on. And so I left. I left the UK and I came to Canada and I did graduate work and so on. And that introduced me to the mining space. And one of the things I, that really drew me to the mining industry was the diversity of it. So the oil industry is, a, you know, whether you like it or, or, or reject it now, it is a remarkable industry that's that's discovered a tremendous amount of oil and gas, which we've benefited from, whether, we, again, we like it or not, we have. And, uh, it, and it may not be part of our future, but it's been a huge part of our past. But in the mineral space, we, it's just we, we work and look for many different commodities all over the planet. And so I've got to travel and uh, work in interesting places and meet incredible people, you know, from from the Dayaks of central Borneo to, you know, the indigenous people in the Andes and so on. And I love all of that. I love diversity. I love, I'm not, a, I don't have a tremendous attention span. So I like variety and the mining industry has just given me a huge amount of variety and space to work in and problem solving and think and generate new ideas and look at fascinating rocks. So I, I'm very, I, I think of myself as very lucky as I really drifted into it. I certainly didn't have a plan. I certainly didn't know where I was going to end up. And if you told me 30 years ago that I'd be having talking about the mining industry and responsibility on a podcast with you, I'd have probably denied it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I had a similar uh, thing in a conversation last week where I said, you know, when I had my first opportunity to take a job in the mining industry, my first reaction was over my dead body. Like, <laughs> I'm a tree hugger. I like, there's no way I can work for such an evil industry. Right. Um, and that I'm so grateful that I did take a chance on that job because I've never looked back. I've learned so much and yeah. you can have so much impact in an industry like this. And that's a message I'm always trying to give to, to young people who basically remind me exactly of myself at 20. Yeah. No, I, I, I love the out, I've always loved the outdoors, and uh, so that was a that was a draw card. Yeah. But it was the it's the combination of the outdoors and then the variety of things you think about when you're out there and and when you travel and and the variety of people. I mean, just incredible people I've met. Yeah, and so I feel very lucky. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it was a good decision, although it really wasn't a decision. It was a default. Dusty. <laughs> Take the right box at the right moment. <laughs> What are the key areas that you think make up responsible mining, technically, socially, environmentally, financially? Yeah. So, again, because of the complexity, we could probably have to you know, zero in a little bit on kind of metal mines and think about them. And so we'll put set aside some of the other types of extractive sure. industries. But uh, you know, it starts at the beginning. If we're starting a mine from scratch right now, you obviously want to design it to be you know, as clean and as efficient as you possibly can and to be, to be you know, effective for the local people who may live and work near it and so on. So that's the designing it right is important. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that's really difficult because we design mines for way out in the future. We decide we're going to have a mine and it takes us five to 10 years to turn you know, a plan into a mine. And at some point very early on in that, the governments of the countries we work in tend to lock in on the permits. And that's fine because they have to do that. But that means you're locked in on the design 
years ahead of actually producing at the mine. And so the world changes and technology changes. And it's unfortunate that we're very inflexible about how we can incorporate this. And so tackling that issue, that's one issue. And then once you've got that and you've got an operation, obviously, yeah, energy efficiency and therefore greenhouse gas limits, you know, mm -hmm. ideally zero is something that we all would like to shoot for, but we're not there yet. Um, effluent, we don't want anything bad leaving in waters, draining out into the into the environment. You know, that's going to affect mm -hmm. people and fish, wildlife as, and so on and so on. So all these pieces have to be addressed. And, and probably the most significant of these pieces is what do the people who live around it think about it and so there's this term that's been around for quite a long time which i know you're very familiar with social license to operate which in theory is somehow granted by people and the reality is it's not a document it's not a fixture it's it's just an acceptance at a moment in time mm -hmm. and a response of mine to me will be one where you never question that, that the people accept it not only at day one but they continue to accept it because of the performance and the purpose of the mine and the, the engagement and the effective communication between the communities and the mine that makes them say, you know what, we like this mine. It's part of our community. It's responsible. And, and that, at the end of the day, is going to be a metric, which is not a metric, <laughs> you know, an understanding, which is different from all these other measures. Well, and therein lies the challenge, right? Historically and even present day, measuring this, this social element is extremely difficult. And admittedly, that's part of why I wanted to do this, this project, because we're realizing that the social license piece, the social purpose piece is really at the heart of doing business well as we move into the future. And yet it is incredibly difficult to measure, to quantify, and, and therefore, you know, be able to prescribe a secret recipe, so to right. speak. Yeah. Do you have a secret recipe, by the way? <laughs> I have many, <laughs> but probably none of them are very effective. You know, it's 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 it's, it's you know it's very difficult. Again, you design a mine hoping that you've done all the right things, and the community at that point maybe maybe they accept it, and therefore you have this social ephemeral social license. But five years down the road, something bad happens. You know, something goes wrong. It's uh, you know, the world moves on, and suddenly you no longer have it. And that's and like you say, you can't measure it. There's no metric which says you know that eighty percent of the people approve it, and therefore it's good. You know, they want you. You need a hundred percent to believe in it and uh, approve of it. And they have to approve of it every day from when it starts until it closes. And even after it closes to you in an ideal, responsible mind, it leaves a, a positive legacy such that the community looks back and said, you know, that was great, but they left us this and they left us that. And these are all now parts of our lives and businesses. And, and we benefited from the whole experience. So it's, you know, responsible isn't a moment in time. Responsible is something that's going to be, you know, forever. And that's a hard thing to measure, let alone to get to your heads around as, a, as an industry or as a yeah. company. Forever is a challenging notion for an industry that is so focused on the life cycle of just the project that we are designing and delivering upon. Yeah. The, the life cycle is one part of the life of land, the life of community that is impacted by that project. Um, and I would suggest that perhaps part of responsible mining is understanding our role in that bigger picture in that much larger time frame as well. Correct. Yeah. No, I think 
you know, that, as you say, is a huge struggle. You know, as in any industry, you know, they tend to be short term. Mm -hmm. They have to raise money. They have to get capital to, to make this mine, to build things and so on. And they're focused on getting a return on that capital that they've, they've invested. So that makes them, you know, quite narrow in their, in their thinking. And yet many operations have to now, a new operation does have to think about closure from day one. And, uh, and that's a good thing. But unfortunately, it's a moving target because mines often last longer than they were originally envisaged. And so that closure thing heads out. And to be honest, as an industry, I think we're still bad at closure, but how we assess it, how we explain it. You know, it's hard enough to explain what a mine is to most people who haven't been and seen a big hole in the ground. But then trying to explain to them what it will look like 20 years after closure, will it look, will it be green pastures? No, probably not. Will it be a lake? Maybe. Is that a good thing? You know, these are, you know, again, mm. difficult things to explain to, to people who live close to it, let alone to the general public who hasn't really thought about how big a hole in the ground it is we need to make to extract, you know, the metals we need and so on. So, yeah, yeah. It, it come back to what I said at the beginning, the mining space is complex. And unfortunately, we as an industry are not very good at breaking down that complexity into pieces that people can you know, easily understand and, and relate to. And we need to do a better job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the ways that we commonly fall short in your experience? Um, well, a lot of ways. <laughs> We're an imperfect industry. And that's not being, I'm not being mean and nasty to the industry. I'm part of it. You know, so I, I appreciate the efforts that people put in and people are putting in a lot of efforts. Yeah. But we, I think uh, one of our challenges has been a desire to be below the radar because we know that we're a challenging industry and we've had problems and historically and um, you know, even more recently we've had problems. You know, we we would we don't like to raise our head so above the parapet and get shot. So we 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 try to go below the radar, and that's a huge mistake. I think you know, increasing our level of transparency, being out there helping people understand, taking their questions, listening to their concerns, you know, is is fundamental to how we're going to improve. And and it's that's challenging for all the reasons we just discussed, you know, the complexity, the amount of time it takes to do things and so on. Um, yeah, it's difficult, but we have no excuse. We, that's probably the biggest impediment to, you know, improving our, uh, both our performance and the understanding of our efforts. It's going to be around communication and listening and talking to people and so on. Absolutely. And by extension, the ability to build genuine trust with folks that we impact. Absolutely, yeah. It is all about trust. And the trust is broken just in a heartbeat when things go wrong. And so we, we still have things going wrong. You know, we, mm -hmm. we claim we're doing wonderful things and then we have a tailings dam that collapses and kills people. And that's just a disaster of unmitigated level, which we should not, we should not tolerate as an industry, let alone as a society. So we have those kinds of things. And then we have companies who who claim they want to be doing the right things and then do something completely different. Again, that moment of trust is lost and the trust is broken, not just for that mine and that community, but it's the broader trust of society in the mining industry gets broken by these, these instances. Uh, your global connectivity is such, you know, it spreads instantly and suddenly the mining industry is, is the bad. 100%. Well, and a single event affects the entire industry as well, right? Hence why I think it's so important that we move towards a common understanding of this notion of responsible. Totally. So one of the limiting factors, again, is you know, we need to do this transparent so people need to understand what we do here and now. So that's getting information out, you know, even real-time data perhaps from mines and so on. 
But mm -hmm. we also need the, and to me, the, the kind of exciting, challenging piece we need is a vision. You know, we need to be able to say, tell people, what is mining going to look like in 2030, 2040, 2050? You know, it's, uh, what are we shooting for? And you know, that's with the tag of responsible. So if we go out to 2050, you know, we can debate what is a mine responsible now because it ticks a few boxes or it has a good relationship with the community. But what does a responsible mine look like in 2050? You know, does it have zero emissions? Yeah, so there's nothing coming out. Does it have no waste? And we, we, we generate huge amounts of waste, unfortunately, great big mountains, literally mountains of waste in many cases. Can we get to zero waste? So what, do, what does it look like? And that comes back to leadership. And we need, in the mining industry, we desperately need leadership who can enunciate that vision and really move the industry towards yeah, that vision. We're not going to get there quickly, that's for sure. But without a vision, you don't know what we're shooting for. And I don't hear, I don't hear much of a vision coming out from the industry. We're, we're very good at solving problems day to day and making improvements, which is fantastic. You know, we, we get a little bit better, we get a little bit better. We reduce our emissions. And that's, a, you know, I say I'm, I'm a big fan of that because you should be doing that every day. But, but what are we actually shooting for? What's the target that we truly believe is doable by 2050 or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And speaking of leadership, uh, I'm sure you've noticed, as I have, not everyone is even sold on the business case for having a vision for responsible mining. Right. Um, what, you know, how would you, at the risk of being too focused on the business case, how would you describe the business case for mining executives that maybe aren't sold yet on this beyond just a feel good effect? Right. So, I mean, this. A short term, it's easy to, to explain this. You, you do something bad, you won't be in business. <laughs> so that's a pretty you know, stark business case. You know, if you if you lose the trust of your community and the community demonstrate in front of your mine and shut the roads and so on, and these things have happened, um, you know, there are plenty mm -hmm. of places where the local people have just got fed up and they've demonstrated. Uh, if, if you lose the trust, you'll, you, you don't get it back. So that's a, that's a business case. That's you've lost your revenue. Um, if you're starting from scratch and you don't get that right, um, you know, that's amazing. again, and I'll, I'll tell you another story here. The, a few years ago when I was working at Cornell, I had a, a conversation with a, a young man there who was very agitated about me because I represented the mining industry. And he came from a community in Ecuador that had uh, opposed a potential mine for 50 years. There's no mine there as of now. Um, you know, people are still trying to look at it as a potential mine, but right now it's it's a, uh, a site waiting to be considered. And uh, he, he was agitated, so I talked to him, and the depth of his opposition was severe because his parents had both been arrested protesting previously. He'd, he'd had strife, serious strife, so he was adamantly opposed. So you can't ignore that level of opposition, and that's a, the business case for that mine does not exist because that people are absolutely against it and they have a nice lifestyle, agricultural lifestyle that they don't want to be broken. So that's the short-term vision. Is you, do you have a business or you don't have a business? The longer-term vision is that if we can't get to responsible mining, then it's very difficult for us to stand up in front of people and say, we deliver the ingredients of life. You know, we deliver critical materials. We deliver the metals for your cars, for all the devices, your computers, your phones, your batteries. You know, we do a, we do important things. Well, actually, the mining industry has always done that. We've always delivered the materials for society. Ever since you know, we started building walls, we delivered things that people wanted. But that isn't the justification. 
the justification has to be we do deliver these things, but we do it in a way that everybody agrees is responsible. So that's, again, that's a long-term business case of the future of the mining industry. And that comes back to, again, the issue of short-term thinking. It's very hard for leaders to buy into talking about what we're going to be like in 30 years when they're worried about what the bottom line is going to be in the next month. And so it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a big ask, but that's where leaders, that's what you want from leaders. You want leaders who, who take on the big asks and, and deliver both the vision and day-to-day results as well. And have the courage to do so. And have the courage. It's there. Yeah, it's a, it's, you know, I took a big it's ask. It's a big lot. ask of them too. Absolutely. It is, it is difficult. And, you know, the, the, the other side of the business case that is changing, which is going to have an impact, I think, is investors are starting to ask those questions of the leaders of the mining industry. Mm-hmm. And at the, at the first, it was just questions and so on. But now those questions have turned into pressure, uh, demands for investors of changes yes. to board members, firing of CEOs even, and demands on you do this in your new operation or we're not going to invest in your company. So again, that's a stark business case example. You know, if the investment isn't there for our business, we don't have a business. Not all investors do that yet, but there's definitely a groundswell of investors who are beginning to place those kind of demands on our level of performance. You know, at the end of the day, money talks, and if the money's not there, <laughs> you know, nothing's going to happen. So, you know, they may drive that, again, this increased level of responsibility. Absolutely. I think the pool of capital without some kind of environmental social governance strings attached is rapidly decreasing at the moment, which makes this a really timely conversation. You have to be fair about that and say it is in our world, in the developed world, and even in the developing world where our money goes. But not all, unfortunately, not mm-hmm. all jurisdictions, countries are equal and your know, levels of, uh, of performance do vary. And national companies in some countries don't mm-hmm. abide by the same rules as the rest of us. But at the, you know, in the end, we can't wait for them. We have to move forward and you know, develop our own standards and beliefs and hope that eventually we bring the rest of the, the industry along with us. So, John, what is it exactly that you think needs to change and where do our biggest opportunities lie to do so? Um, so, well, I touched on a few of these already. So leadership and, and organization, I think mining companies need to think a little bit more about how they organize in order to deliver on some of these challenges, particularly around the social governance challenges. Environmental ones are in in some ways a little easier in that there are technical things that we can do and data that we can use to assess these things. So yeah, I think we can get our heads around performance on that side. But on the other side, there there are definitely organizational challenges within companies to get the same level of attention given to those things. So that's part of the puzzle is, is definitely changing the companies. And then on the sort of technical side, it's, it's driving innovation to solve these uh, you know, the performance questions, which relate then to energy and water and in the environment. And, and there's, we're making progress there. There's, there's some fantastic things happening in the innovation world. And this company that I work with here in Vancouver called MindSense, which is an example of a mining technology company, which is trying to help mines select which material is the good material to, to mine from their mine and process versus which is the material that's of no value. And by making that choice, the mine is able to focus and be more selective. And as a result, it uses less energy and less water and is more sustainable. So it's a, it's a, it's a great story of a Vancouver high-tech company focusing its attention on a problem in the mining space, coming up with a solution and being able to create value for the mining industry, but also 
you know, solve some of our, partially solve some of our, our challenges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you think some of our biggest impediments will be as an industry? Well, uh, again, on the technical side, you know, if we innovate, that's a wonderful thing, but it's not, it tends to be still incremental. And so how do we do transformational change mm. and how do we bring transformational change into an industry that's quite conservative, that takes a long time to do things? So this design problem again, you know, we design now for something that's going to be 10 years out and it's going to last for 50 years. So how do we build in flexibility that means we can incorporate you know, radical changes in, in technology over that time period right. instead of being very fixed in our view of this is how we do it and this is the only way we can do it so so that's a big impediment on the on the technical side on the organization side i touched on that that's an impediment and i you know i mentioned you know the, the organization of the companies in terms of identifying critical pieces like the, so, the social side and so on but another big challenge in our industry because of the complexity is that we're very siloed you have people who geologists like to look at the rocks the engineers like to build the mines, the environmental scientists need to like to make sure the water's clean and so on, and we don't talk very much to each other. And so we need to break down those silos. If we're going to really may have radical transformational change, that's normal sources of technology funding, you know, Silicon Valley we hear about and venture capitals, capitalists and so on, they love to fund things, but they don't fund the mining industry because the mining industry is tough for them. And so it's just an example of, again, of the complexity we have to deal with persuading people outside of our normal realm to come help us. There's, there's many layers to that question of impediments. And, you know, there's no short answer, no yes. quick or easy answer. Otherwise, hopefully we'd have done it. <laughs> but, you know, there has to be a way. And uh, again, that comes back to leadership. And so when you think about the future of responsible mining, what are you afraid of and what excites you? I, I'm, a, I'm afraid that... Um, you know, the, the inertia will win, that there won't be a, whether it's the lack of leadership or just the problems, the, the, the really tough problems of, you know, moving lots of rock, you know, just the, the physical problem of moving lots of rock and the, the challenge of making sure it's done, you know, as best we can, but falling short, always falling short. I, I worry that that'll, that'll just slow us down and we, we'll just keep on nibbling away at the problem as opposed to really fundamentally addressing it. And then... Um, and I worry that the attitudes within the companies that will, you know, that will improve and have improved dramatically, there's been big changes, still there's a tendency to, we, we go sort of two steps forward and one step back. We, we think we're on the right track and then somebody does something and uh, we, we feel like you know, we haven't made any progress at all really and so on. So, so that's, you know, those are, those are my concerns that we don't move fast enough for me. I'm impatient. <laughs> I, I'm a product of this industry and I want this industry to be good. I want to be proud of the fact that we deliver critical materials to everybody so that they can have phones and computers and so on. But I want to be proud that we do it in a really, really good way and that other people agree with me. On the opportunity side, you know, because of the complexity and so on, I think there's huge scope for, for smart people and creative people and interested people to be involved in helping us do this. And we don't have to try and do it all in-house and feel that we're the only ones who understand this. We can reach out to a lot of other people and get them to help us, both on the technical side, but on the environmental side, the social side. I think we, we need to embrace the fact that we don't own all our problems. We need help on our problems and, uh, and huge scope to do that. Because some of these challenges, you know, for Young people who want to do something, uh, young people like to do things that are meaningful. You know, young people 
today coming out of universities, they want to be involved in industries that are meaningful. So while some may well prefer to be in the gaming industry or the movie industry, which it'll be entertaining us, which is important, you know, others want to address real life problems. We have plenty. So we have a lot of home, home for, and opportunities for people who want to come and solve some really tough issues and, and in, as a result, make the world a better place. Yes, I love that. So John, personally, I spend a lot of time thinking about what our industry's role is in a more sustainable and socially just future. The world's a dark place some days, and I like thinking about a brighter future. And I like thinking about how this industry has a role in that. And you know, the show is called Prospecting Purpose. And I wanted to ask you what purpose means to you in the context of responsible mining. Yeah, so but purpose for me, is sort of, as I said, it's, it's providing critical ingredients that we need to, that humans need to live. And that's not just nice devices and cool toys, which we, we do tend to like, but it's even basic ingredients like clean water. You know, providing clean water to a billion, two billion people who don't have it now requires materials and that requires metals and resources and so on. Providing energy to people across the world, ideally now perhaps be doing it without cables and long, big power generation, perhaps it's all done through solar. Yeah, and I'm fine with that if it can be done, but that still requires materials and it requires materials that come from, from mining. So that's what I want is us to deliver those materials, but I want to be able to put my hand on my heart and say, we do it really well. When we deliver these materials to us, you can, you can actually trust us and I want you to trust us. And I want you to believe that you can trust us in the future, that we can do this and we can deliver it away, that we will do it with zero harm and zero waste. And you know, we weren't, we're not there yet, but we are determined as an industry to, to get there. So we should be part of the solution also on the recycling, the reuse uh, part of the circular economy as well. So the mining industry needs to become integrated into the circular economy. And again, that's another piece of this definition of responsibility is that we don't just throw things over the fence and say, yeah, we've done our job, we're great. We actually care about what happens to them as they've gone out into the community and we work with the earth. And the earth is the earth is our home, it's the only home we've got. And it's exceedingly complicated, the earth. It's made of all these different minerals and different things all over the place. And yet the earth provides these things for us to use. And so we have a responsibility. We're kind of, if you'd like, we're kind of renting space on our planet and we've got a responsibility to look after it. So we, we have to be able to say that again, hand on heart and, and have people hopefully believe us. Well, that's all for today's episode. This is Liz Friel on Prospecting Purpose. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you, John, for being with us today. Pleasure. If you're looking to connect with John or learn more about his work, you can reach him via LinkedIn or the links in the show notes. This episode is powered by Simpact, an ESG think tank and sustainability advisory firm on a mission to shape a more sustainable, socially just, and brighter future for all. Visit us at sympact.ca to learn more. What's your purpose? <laughs>